The Lord calls us to worship this morning from the book of Exodus, chapter 15. I will sing to the Lord, for He has triumphed gloriously. The horse and its rider He has thrown into the sea. The Lord is my strength and song, and He has become my salvation. He is my God, and I will praise Him. My Father's God, and I will exalt Him. Who is like You, O Lord, among the gods? Who is like You, glorious in holiness? fearful in praises, doing wonders. The Lord shall reign forever and ever. Amen. together today as your people. We pray, Lord, that you would pour out your spirit upon us as we worship you, as we sing praises and hear your word proclaimed. Lord, we pray that you would be in our midst, that everything that we do and say today in our hearts and in our minds, the things that come out of our mouths would bring glory and honor to you alone. And Lord, we pray that you would unify our hearts together, even as we pray together now, praying the prayer that you taught your disciples to pray, saying out loud, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. This morning for our confession of faith, we're going to be reciting together the Apostles' Creed. I'm going to begin by asking you, Christian, what do you believe? I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, His only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Ghost, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven 
and sitteth on the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Ghost, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Hear these words of assurance from the Old Testament book of Zephaniah chapter 3. It says, Sing, O daughter of Zion, shout of Israel. Be glad and rejoice with all your heart, O daughter of Jerusalem. The Lord has taken away your judgments. He has cast out your enemy. The King of Israel, the Lord, is in your midst. You shall see disaster no more. In that day it shall be said to Jerusalem, Do not fear. Zion, let not your hands be weak. The Lord your God is in your midst. The Mighty One, He will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you with His love. He will rejoice over you with singing. Amen. Let us continue to worship and sing together hymn number 521, My Hope is Built on Nothing Less. to his people. And this morning I wanted to ask you, 
if you can remember in the book of Exodus, what was it that God told Moses when he spoke to him in the burning bush about his people? What was it that God said he heard? Do you remember? God said he heard the cry of his people. And he said, I will go and deliver them. And who did he say was going to go? Who was going? Moses. Moses? That's right, Danny. Moses was to go. And so this morning in our call to worship, we actually heard and read the song that Moses praised God with in Exodus chapter 15. Because what God had promised that he would do, he said, I will deliver my people. I will bring them out of Egypt. And I'll do it with signs and wonders. And the people will know that it was by my hand that it was done. Do you remember the things that that God did in Egypt before the people left? Do you remember what they were called? There were ten of them. Plagues. What, Caleb? Plagues. Plagues. God did ten wonders before the people. But who else saw them? Can you remember who saw them? Moses. Moses saw them. The people saw them. The Israelites. The Israelites. Who was the ruler in Egypt at that time? Pharaoh. Pharaoh. And all the Egyptians, they saw it. And do you remember, were the Egyptians happy when God's people left? No. No? Yes? yes? You say yes, so we got a yes and a no. Maybe a little bit of both. Do you remember what the Egyptians gave to God's people when they left? Gold. Gold. They did. They gave them gifts. They said, here, please leave. The the plagues have been enough. We would like for you to go. We're sad that you're going because some of us have maybe never worked the way that you did. And so some of us are going to have employment on Monday. But um, we're sad, but we're also happy that you're going. And when God's people crossed through a certain sea, do you remember? The Red Sea. The Red Sea. That's right. And and did they have to swim pretty hard? Were there had to be good swimmers in the children of Israel? Why not? God parted the sea. So what did they walk on? Rocks and sticks? Dry land. It was a miracle. God made the sea stand up like walls. And God's people walked through on dry ground. And that's why Moses burst forth in praise. Because God had delivered his people. Did God close up the waters again? Yes. And who was in it? The Egyptians, the Israelites watched. They saw the judgment of God upon the enemies of God. And that's why one of the reasons that Moses sang the way he did. So as I pray for you this morning in just a moment, I want to pray that you have open eyes and hearts, that you would see all the wonders that God does among you, that you would have eyes to see and ears to hear, that you wouldn't see the works of God and walk away and be unchanged, but that you would see his work and hear in his word and be changed by it. Let me pray for you. Father, I thank you for your hope of deliverance that you have given to us and to our covenant children in your son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, we thank you and praise you for the finished work that Jesus accomplished through his life, death and resurrection, that he is our great high priest who continues forever and that he secures for us and for our covenant children a home in heaven. Lord, I pray for our covenant children that they would cry out to you in faith of their own as a gift from you. And Lord, I pray that you would give them eyes to see and ears to hear and a heart that follows hard after you, that they would see the good work of God and hear the word of God and believe and cry out to you in faith and repentance. In Jesus' name, amen.
Thank you. This morning for our responsive reading, we're going to be reading together Psalm 114. It's on page 827 in the, in the hymnal. Psalm 114, page 827. I'll begin with the light portion. Please respond out loud together with the bold. When Israel came out of Egypt, the house of Jacob from a people of foreign tongue. The sea looked and fled. The Jordan turned back. Why was it, O sea, that you fled, O Jordan, that you turned back? Tremble, O earth, at the presence of the Lord, at the presence of the God of Jacob. Let's stand together as we continue to worship and sing hymn number 691, It Is Well With My Soul.
seated. This morning for our pastoral prayer time, I want to pray for Roger and Laura Dye that uh, the Lord would be meeting their financial needs, needs this year, that as they do the work of the ministry, that they would be able to be relieved of worldly cares, that the Lord would see fit to provide for them financially in these next 12 months. I also wanted to pray for those among us who are school teachers, who uh, teach children in public schools or in university, and also those who are homeschooling uh, their children at home. So for our moms and or dads who are helping to teach our children, that they would be steadfast in the work that the Lord has given them. And particularly for those who are taking part in education in public schools. It is a mission field, but it is also a hard place to work, as many of you know. So I want to pray now that the Lord would give sustaining grace and a true heart for the people. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for these quiet moments that we may come to you as our Heavenly Father, that we may lift up our hearts to you as your children. Your word calls us sons and daughters of the living God, and that we come to you as the God of the universe. Lord, we confess at times it is easy to not remember this or to believe that it's actually true because we've heard it so much. That we pray entering the throne room of heaven because of the work of the Lord Jesus Christ who gave himself as a sacrifice on our behalf. That we may come to you boldly with confidence that you hear us and with courage. Lord, I pray as we join our hearts together now that you would cause us to see the great gift that we have in coming to you in prayer. That we would be thankful individually, but also thankful as a church for the gift and the grace that prayer is to us. Lord, I pray that you would be with us even in this time of prayer by your Spirit. Lord, I do pray for Roger and Laura today that you would give them great joy and delight in the work of the ministry that you have given them. And we pray specifically today, Lord, that you would meet all of their financial goals for this year, that they might be able to give themselves over wholly to the work that you have given them, that they wouldn't be concerned or anxious or worried. And Lord, as they have financial needs, I pray that you would cause them to look to you in faith, just as we look to you in faith to provide for our homes, to provide for our financial needs, that you are the God of heaven and that you take care of your children. Lord, I pray also for those in our midst who are school teachers and for our homeschooling moms that you would give them great grace and patience. Particularly for those who work in the public schools, Lord, I pray that you would help them to remember that you have given them gifts that they might go and serve the community in which they are working. Lord, I pray that you would give them great patience and discretion with their words as they deal with administration and other challenges that might be difficult for them. Lord, I pray that you would give them joy in the work that they're doing. And I pray, Lord, for long nights and early mornings, for changes in the day that they weren't expecting that might come up this week. Lord, I pray that you would fill them with your peace. And Lord, I do pray also for our homeschooling moms and families, that you would give them special grace as well, that as they move from the kitchen and the the table where they eat to maybe that's also the place where they do instruction, that you would fill them with all courage and wisdom and energy 
that they might teach their children. Lord, I pray that You would be doing all of this for Your glory in our public schools and in our homes, that the name of the Lord Jesus Christ might be lifted up, that we might be a light not only to one another but to our community. Lord, we thank You and praise You that You hear our prayers and that You answer. And Lord, I do pray and raise up to You those in our church family who are struggling and who are suffering under a weight of affliction because of health needs and spiritual needs and financial needs in our midst. I pray, Lord, that You would particularly have Your hand upon those who are struggling with long-term illnesses and difficulties. And I pray, Lord, for those who are not able to be here today, that You would, by Your Spirit, comfort them, even as we pray for them now. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.
like to invite you to open your Bibles to the New Testament book of Titus, chapter 1. This is one of Paul's letters. Titus, chapter 1. We'll be reading this morning verses 1 through 4. Titus, chapter 1, verses 1 through 4. This is the word of the Lord. Paul, a bondservant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ, according to the faith of God's elect and the acknowledgement of the truth which accords with godliness, in hope of eternal life which God, who cannot lie, promised before time began, but has in due time manifested His word through preaching, which was committed to me according to the commandment of God our Savior, to Titus, a true son in our common faith, grace, mercy, and peace, from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, our Savior. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the Word of our God abides forever. Last week we began a new series entitled Ordinary Christian Living, looking at the book of Titus. And this sermon is an introduction part two, following up from what we began last week. Paul wrote this letter to Titus, who was likely a convert of Paul's ministry whom he had appointed to go to Crete and set things in order. Titus was to go and to teach the Word of God with all authority. He was to be a living and loving example to the people of God. The Cretan culture that the churches existed among was heavily influenced by belief in the Greco-Roman ideas of mythology. And in their social life, the Cretans were known as people who were always liars, evil beasts, and lazy gluttons, according to Titus chapter 1, verse 12. And he credits that phrase to someone who was of their own society. This wasn't a a phrase that Paul came up with, it was one of their own who said it. And so in the midst of this culture, and actually also in the midst of false teaching within the church, Titus is sent to go and to set things in order. But maybe a little differently than you might think, Rather than writing strategies to wage war on an ungodly culture, Paul instructs Titus to go and to be about the work of teaching the churches about the ordinary graces of Christian life for everyday believers. That there actually is grace from our Heavenly Father to live on the island of Crete among people who deny God's very existence, who want nothing to do with the gospel of Jesus Christ, who don't want to hear about sin or judgment or hell or any forgiveness that might be offered. Paul uses this greeting in verses 1 through 4 and the timeless truths in them as the basis and the backbone for Titus to live the Christian life among God's people there, but also as the backbone for the Christian ministry that he has sent Titus to do. So as we look at these verses again this Sunday, I want to do so under three headings. The first is a solid hope. The second is the old, old story. And lastly, number three, a covenant blessing. So number one, a solid hope. Paul wrote in verse two that in hope of eternal life, which God who cannot lie promised before time began. What is the promise of eternal life? If someone asks you, you talk about this Jesus who came And God who said, whoever believes in Him can have eternal life. 
Because God so loved the world. Well, what is eternal life? What is the promise of eternal life? And who is it for? So I want to answer a couple of those questions this morning. It's significant, though, to say, who was the promise made to? In the context of the verses that we just read, this was a promise that God made. But who did He make that promise to? Since it says He made that promise before time began. Look again in in verse 2. It was a promise that He made before people existed. So who received that promise? Who heard it? Who believed that it was true? Who participated in it? Last week we began to talk about the covenant of redemption. That this was a covenant made among the Trinity. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. That the Father chose a people out of His own creation who He would create eventually. Because they didn't exist yet. And He said, I will choose for Myself a people. And they will be my own possession. But you, Son of God, I want you to go and to redeem them. And that the Holy Spirit, in agreement with the Father and the Son, would apply the redemption that Christ earned to His people. So all three of them together agreeing in the covenant of redemption. You could paraphrase it this way in a conversation between the Father and the Son. As the Father looks at the Son, He says, You must go. And be clothed with human flesh. You have to live a real life. A perfect life. And give yourself as a sacrifice for them. By taking upon yourself all the sins of my people. They're real, actual sins. And you will need to drink down to the very bottom. Consuming even the dregs of the cup of my wrath. Even unto death. You'll have to die a real death like they do. You have to do it. That's the price. But the Father says as He looks at the Son, if you do this, I will accept your sacrifice on their behalf. I will raise you from the dead. I will give them to you, my people, as a gift for this sacrifice. I will set my special love upon them. And I will give them a heart to walk with us and to love us, to walk in obedience, to desire to be in our presence. And I will give them a home to be with us forever. And one day, on the day that I have appointed, I will send you and you will gather from every nation and tribe and tongue around the world that I will create through you. And you will bring them to be with us forever. And nothing will be able to separate them from my love. Not their sin, not time, not life, not death, not Satan. Nothing will separate them from my love. And when the Son heard this, And the Spirit heard this. The Son said, yes, I will go and do it. And the Spirit said, yes, and I will apply it to the hearts of your people. And they will be yours and we will be yours. And we will love one another together. What's the promise of eternal life? Many times I heard the gospel even as a a little boy. And I understood the story to be about me mostly. And maybe that was my misunderstanding. But many times I heard a presentation of the gospel that said that in order to get into heaven you have to be perfect. And because I'm not, there has to be a substitute for me. But I never heard what I would call the old, old story. The oldest story. That God before time began, before I was even a thought in my mother and father's mind, God chose a people to be His own possession. He chose the church. He chose His people to belong to Him, to be the bride of His Son, Jesus Christ, the true Messiah, the true and living God. 
I didn't know that there was an agenda that He had in creating the world. That He was doing all of this for His own glory. And so when I heard the story, I did rejoice that there's a Savior, someone who can deliver me from my sins. But I didn't have an appreciation for the breadth and the depth of the love of God in creating a world, bringing glory to Himself, and inviting me, a poor sinner, into His family. I didn't know that story. And so as I heard it, I believed actually that all the promises were mine, but there were promises that were made before the world began. Can you think of some of the promises that we just talked about in the covenant of redemption? The promises in the Scriptures. Things that God says to His people. These are the things that He gives them as gifts. Not things they earn. He says, I am giving you forgiveness of your sins. I am removing the guilt from your heart. You no longer have to carry it like a stain on your favorite shirt or blouse. You no longer have to try to get it out. You don't carry it with you. I'm removing it. He says, I'm giving you freedom from judgment and wrath due your sin. I'm taking it away. You no longer have to fear it. And actually, though you sojourn in the world that you live in now, don't worry. Don't fret. I'm making you a heavenly home. And one day I will send the Son and He will come and take you back. And you will be with us forever. And actually, some of us, tender-hearted folks, even tender-hearted folks in this room might say, well, I hear all those promises. I hear about forgiveness. I hear about a cleansing of my heart and the filthiness of my sins. But is it really true that when Jesus died on the cross, when He spilled His precious blood, that that means I can be assured in my heart that though I might be weak in my faith, that God holds me in His hands? Is it really true that I can go to heaven even though some days I doubt? Is it really possible? One of the promises, one of the gifts that God gives His people is assurance of their perseverance. Not because of anything in them, but because of the finished work of Jesus. Because before time began, He promised, I will take them home. And they will be there. No one will be able to snatch them out of My hand. And as a young boy, I thought about this, and as a young man, and maybe a little bit of an older man now, thinking about this, oh, what the wonderful grace of God is. That we sinners could be called home. That we can persevere in this life. That it's a gift from our Heavenly Father. So I want to answer the other question that I mentioned just a moment ago. Who can have this promise of eternal life? And you could probably quote several scriptures. We could look at very many passages this morning. Who can have assurance of salvation? Who can have the promise of eternal life? True, real life, free from condemnation, no threat of death or hell, that nothing can touch you except it passes through the hands of your Heavenly Father. This is what Jesus wrote in the Gospel of John, chapter 1. These words are about Jesus. He was in the world, and the world was made through Him, and the world did not know Him. He came to His own, and His own did not receive Him. But as many as received Him, to them He gave the right to become the children of God. To those who believe in His name, who were born not of the blood, not of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. 
Who can have the promise of eternal life? Who can have it? According to John, he says, those who receive Him, those who believe, and those who have been born, not simply through the natural biological course of life coming into being in this world, but those who are born of God. Not just because of what family you were born into or what church you go to, what denomination you were baptized in, but if you were born of the living God, as Jesus said to Nicodemus in the Gospel of John, you must be born again. If you have been born again by faith and hope and belief in the Lord Jesus Christ, it's not your work, it's His. He brought you forth by the word of His power. Who can have this promise of eternal life? In John chapter 10, Jesus said in verses 27 to 29, My sheep hear My voice, and I know them, and they follow Me. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of My hand. My Father, who has given them to Me, is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of My Father's hand. Who can have this promise of eternal life? Whoever hears the voice of Jesus and responds. And whoever He gives that gift of life to, no one can take it away. Not even your own conscience that might sometimes tell you of the guilt of sin is a a rule that you should listen to. Not other voices from other people and certainly not the whispers of the enemy. In John chapter 5 verse 24, answering the question, who can have the promise of eternal life? Jesus says, whoever hears my word and believes in him who sent me, has eternal life. He does not he does not come into judgment, but has passed from life, from death unto life. So those who hear Jesus' voice and respond, those who believe in the Son of God and in the one who sent him, and those who are born of God, those are the ones who have the promise of eternal life. And let me just for a moment pause and just say that I know there are some among us who are conscientious believers who see the waywardness of their own heart and know that although they are wayward in their heart and some days are better than others, but many days are hard, that they might say, I don't know that the love of God is set upon me. I don't experience that. I don't always feel it. I read my Bible and I pray, but there's not an overwhelming sense of God being with me in that room there. And when I'm reading the Scriptures, there are times when it's dry and cold and I even feel a little bit separated from other people. 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 4 and 5 says of believers, of you and I, the church, that we have an inheritance that is incorruptible and undefiled that does not fade away, reserved in heaven for you. You have a reservation in heaven who are kept by the power of God through faith for salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. The basis of your assurance that you, a believer in Jesus Christ, will persevere to the end is because not your sinless life, not trying hard or doing well, or even trying to do nice things for people now. The assurance of your salvation is that God guards it in heaven. And if God holds you, He says no one can snatch you out of His hand. So that's point number one. A solid hope. That's what Paul is talking about. That's why he says, I'm pouring out everything in me for the sake of the ministry that God has given me for the church, for people. Not for an idea, but for a people. Because Jesus Christ made me an apostle. 
And woe is me if I do anything else but preach the gospel. And so I'm sending you, Titus, go and teach God's people. Set things in order in the church. Set up elders. Teach people how to live in their families and serve and love the Lord. Teach people how to love and serve the Lord in society. Have an influence in a way that they would be a light, just as Jesus was a light when He came into the world. But I think He wanted Titus to be sure that he didn't forget to tell the old, old story. The Apostle Paul wrote in Romans chapter 1, verse 16, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, because it is the power of God unto salvation for everyone who believes. So I want to ask you this morning, what is it that the church, the people of God, need to hear on a regular basis? What is it, according to Paul, according to the scriptures we just read in Titus this morning, what is it that God's people need to hear? I believe God's people need to hear clear, biblical, spirit-filled preaching of the Word of God. That a regular diet of it is what's necessary. Not anything new. There's no new message. The Gospel is the old, old story. It doesn't need to be dressed up or changed or reimagined. You don't have to deconstruct your faith. Trust in the living God. Hear His Word and believe. Paul said that the Gospel is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us it is life and everything. I'm saying there's nothing new that needs to be said. There's nothing new that hasn't already been said. There is a sweet simplicity in the beauty of the Gospel story. Think about it over this past month. We saw the the beauty and simplicity of the story of our Savior's birth as our children reminded us in the love gift program last month. It was already a month ago, by the way. But we saw rehearsed for us the story of Jesus' birth. We heard them quote from Scripture. We heard them sing songs in the choir. Adult choir sang songs of Jesus' incarnation coming into the world, the Son of the living God. It's not a beautiful, cute Christmas story. It's the story of our redemption, the mystery that had been withheld from people for ages, God revealed in His Son. There's nothing new that has to be told to people. We don't have to change it. The beauty of the Gospel is seen that we quoted in Isaiah chapter 9, the people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in the land of the shadow of death, upon them a light has shined. This is both Jew and Gentile alike. When Isaiah wrote those words, he was talking about God's people. Because there were some in Israel who believed that you could earn salvation. That entrance into heaven was actually based on your good works and your good deeds and your best efforts and trying hard. And the Lord will grade on a curve. He knows my heart. I do my best. And there were Gentiles who wanted nothing to do with God. They had no thought that God existed. He, they denied that He even was a God. And so we do well this morning to remember and to hear the old, old story. And to give careful attention to it. Don't neglect, in other words... Don't neglect your relationship with God or take it for granted. If you still have your Bible, turn over a page or two over to Hebrews chapter 2. I want to read just a few verses there. Hebrews chapter 2, beginning in verse 1. It says, Therefore, 
We must give the more earnest heed to the things that we have heard, lest we drift away. The writer of Hebrews knows if we don't pay attention to them, we will drift. It will happen. Like a boat that's not tied to a dock, that hasn't dropped anchor, you will drift and not even know it unless you're paying attention. For if the word spoken through angels proves steadfast, and every transgression and disobedience received a just reward, how shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation, which at the first began to be spoken by the Lord and was confirmed to us by those who heard Him, God also bearing witness both with signs and wonders, with various miracles and gifts of the Holy Spirit according to His own will. That's a long question He's asking. But how... I go back to His question. Verse 3. How shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation? Don't neglect your relationship with God. Don't take it for granted. It is a blessing beyond blessings. That you here on earth, it's part of what God promised in the covenant of redemption. That I will give them a taste of glory on earth while they're still there. I will put my Holy Spirit within them. The Spirit of the risen Christ as a guarantee. You belong to me. I'm yours. And you're mine. And no one can take you from me. Take it seriously. You belong to the living God. This world is not your home. Don't neglect the salvation that Jesus spilled His precious blood to give you. And lastly, as Paul finishes this greeting, and as we finish it this morning, he pronounces a covenant blessing upon Titus. He says to Titus in verse 4, A true son in our common faith, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ, our Savior. These are tender, precious words as from a father to a son. Those of you who are men in this room who have sons, as you think about passing on the faith to them as a dad, as a father, as a man, these are tender words. It's a loving expression. It's not flowery. It's not meant to sound poetic and nice. He's saying a true son in the faith. Likely Paul led Titus to Christ. He took him to the cross and said, this is where salvation comes from. That Jesus who was on the earth, He's the Son of the living God. And there's no other way to heaven except through Him. And so He says to them, Him in this tender, loving expression. And I wonder if we might notice this morning, just briefly, the blessing of the different generations represented in our church family. We have children. We have been blessed beyond measure with many children in this church. We have young families. We have those who don't have children at home anymore. Empty nesters. And then we have those who are now hugging and kissing their their grandchildren and their great-grandchildren. What a blessing we have been given in this church. And we're not here together just because it's a happenstance. We're here together because God placed us here. And actually... The gray heads in the room are meant for our instruction, for our wisdom, for our learning. And the young children in this room need to hear the old, old story from us. They need to hear. One of the things that dads want to pass on to their sons, they want to see their sons succeed. I I heard a quote recently that a dad or a grandfather might be the only man in the world who to you wants you to do better than them. Every other man is going to compete with you and try to do better. But your dad is wanting you to not make his mistakes. 
He's wanting you to walk the path of obedience. Learn from my mistakes. See the places where I busted tires and bent my fenders. And son, please don't do it. Trust me. But he also knows in his heart that son might still go do it. That some of us just unfortunately learn better by having to go through it. Flattening some tires and bending some fenders. And so I believe it's in that heart that Paul is saying to Titus, my true son in the faith, do this. Do this work. Do this work that God has given you. But know that you do it by grace and peace. That what God started in you, these are the gifts of God for the ministry and for your life now. He's talking about this personal spiritual walk as he speaks to Titus before he dives in to the work of the church and ministry there. He says grace and peace to you. To you, Titus, my son. Cling to God's grace, Titus. Remember that it's a work that God started in you. Apply your heart to it. In 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 18, Peter wrote, Grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. There's a relationship. You're to grow in it. It's to, to move. It's, it's a living thing. Jesus isn't somebody you meet on Sunday. Jesus is somebody who's with you in the gutter on Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday and Thursday. He's in the ditch on Friday and Saturday. And He's the reason you're here on Sunday. He guides all of your life. But also in your ministry endeavors, Titus, don't forget this. Don't forget whose church it is. Don't forget who builds it. It's your job to be faithful. It's your job to do everything that I'm telling you to do. To be obedient. Psalm 127 verse 1. Even as we think about Lebanon. Psalm 127 verse 1 says, Unless the Lord builds the house, they labor in vain who build it. And Paul said in Colossians chapter 1, verse 29, To this end I also labor, striving according to His working, which works in me mightily. That verse is a paradox. It says, I'm working, but there's a power that's working in me that's not mine. And it is the power of the Holy Spirit working in me because God put Him there. And I can't get rid of Him and He won't leave. But it's by His strength that I strive and work and I keep trying to present God's people as a chaste virgin in Christ to Him. I want them to believe and believe by faith in the grace and peace of our God and Savior. Lastly, Romans chapter 12, verse 2. Don't forget this, Titus. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. And continue steadfastly in prayer. There are going to be days when you don't want to. There are going to be times when there will be no encouragement in the ministry. You need to know that grace and peace come from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. There will be time when the people of God will not be an encouragement to you. And you must lean upon the breast of your Savior as John did. And that has to be enough. And it is enough. I want to end with a quote from the hymn that we sing, the old, old story. Tell me the same old story when you have cause to fear that this world's empty glory is costing me too dear. Tell me the story always, if you would really be, in any time of trouble, a comforter to me. You have a solid hope, dear people of God. And it is the promise of eternal life in the Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, I thank You and praise You for the grace and peace that You commend to us through our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, I thank You for the old, old story that doesn't need to change. The Gospel of our salvation. 
Jesus Christ coming into the world, being a real person, and offering Himself a sacrifice for the sins of His people, for us, Your church. Lord, I pray that You would help us as believers to not neglect our salvation. And Lord, I pray if there's anyone in this room today who doesn't know You by faith and repentance, that they would cry out to You, that they would repent of their sins truly, and that they would have faith in the finished work of the Lord Jesus Christ, that You would move them out of the kingdom of darkness and into the kingdom of light by Your precious hand. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Let's respond together to the Word of God by singing hymn number 460, Amazing Grace. Let's stand together.
Our Father in heaven, we dedicate to you now our tithes and our offerings. And we dedicate to you our hearts, Lord, knowing and believing that in trusting them to you, you provide for us, you care for us as your people. Lord, we pray that you would use our tithes and our offerings for the sake of the spread of the name and the fame of the Lord Jesus Christ, that people who do not know about the Lord Jesus and his perfect sacrifice would hear of it, that they would believe by faith and come to you in faith and repentance. Lord, we thank you and praise you for this offering, this time to to say to our hearts, trust in the Lord, he will provide. In Jesus' name, amen. benediction of our Lord. Now may the shepherd who laid down his life for the sheep restore your soul, lead you in the right paths, walk beside you in the dark valleys, and bring you safely home to the home of the Lord forevermore. Amen. Amen.